Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Bayou Chronicles. We are your hosts, I'm Bethany. And I'm Crystal. Today we have the second episode of our series about Becky Gary and her family's search for her to this day. Actually the 28th of this month will be the 33rd anniversary of the last time they saw her, or heard from her, I should say. Um, In our first episode about her early life, it was basically when she was born, her, you know, childhood, her teenage years, and then a little bit into her adult life, um, who she was, and allowed us to kind of connect with who Becky is herself. Um, The first episode of this was a wild ride, and we're not even, like, we haven't even... Put a toe in the water which is insane um but thank you guys to everybody that did listen to the first episode of this kind of mini series um it was no it still is it still is the most downloaded episode for us in the first 24 hours it has almost 90 downloads right now that's like um, first day yeah first day so shout out to you guys that's really awesome because this is still an ongoing investigation they still do not know where becky is or you know if something happened so we really are thankful for joyce for sitting down with us and talking with us and she loved the first episode uh, which is really what me and crystal wanted because it's an actual family that came to us and was like we need help so we're very thankful for you guys listening and just remember share it with anybody if you know anything you can contact the baton rouge police department um but before we dive into our next part i want to thank everyone for hanging out with us on twitch we've been streaming a little bit more than usual lately not as much as we'd like but here we are and thank you guys for hanging out. It's really awesome that you guys can see our faces and we can chat with people. So that's awesome. And yeah, make sure you come and hang out with us next time. And let's just drive on into it. I'm going to hand it over to Crystal. Okay, I agree. Let's just jump on in. Um, I do kind of want to give a little follow-up. If um, It's been a while. It's been about a month since the last episode. So just kind of give you a little bit of a catch-up. Um Last episode, we learned about the early life of Rebecca Gary and her relationship with her family. We learned about her daughter, Jamie, and a little bit about the things that she went through up until she went missing. Um, So if you haven't already listened, please stop this episode. Go back and listen a couple, like four episodes ago. Go ahead and go back and listen to that and then come back. Um... Now that you're back, if you hadn't listened or, you know, you wouldn't listened. Um, last episode, we really kind of draw, well, we tried to drive home the fact that, and Bethany, you can tell me if I was wrong, if I'm wrong in saying this, but I felt like I tried to drive home the fact that, I don't know how to say it. I want to say it correctly. I really and truly feel like I tried to drive home the fact that she was so much more than just this missing person's picture. Like, you know, like the picture on the side of a milk carton kind of thing. Like, it, there was more to her story than just the fact that she was went missing. I agree because I think 
I'm I'm probably guilty of this myself. Like anytime you see a missing persons photo, like remember when we were children, they still do it in Walmart. They always had that like giant board of all the all missing the little people. kids. It was mainly like teenagers. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like, you know, you looked at it and you're like, for a brief second, your mind's like, oh, that's really sad. And then you went about your day. And that's how a lot of people are, um, whether you like to admit it or not. But until it happens to you, to your family, and that's what, you know, we when we sat down with Joyce and she just poured her heart out to us. And like, this is a real family that this happened to. And I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, again, if you hadn't listened to the last episode, you really need to go do that first to really get what we're talking about here. But we learned about, um, you know, Becky and Joyce losing their dad at a really le young age. We learned about, I mean, I'm going to call it grooming, the grooming process that she was that Becky was put through by Shreveport police officers and sexual assault and yes on other young on girls. other people um you know Edward Edwards cough cough not saying but saying like there's just so many things like that that make me hope that when you listen to that first episode you really understood that she is not just a missing person with just a name and a face she has a history she has a story she has a family and that's what we're trying to drive home so i'm saying all of this to lead up to this i promise i'm not just rambling but today we're going to talk about the circumstances that led up to Becky going missing and a tiny bit about the events afterwards um so if you need a little little bit more of a refresher um Becky became pregnant and had Jamie in like 1975 76 I don't know Jamie's exact birthday so that's why I'm saying I don't know what year she came came pregnant with her in but around this time you have to think too that this was probably about a year or so after the fundraiser with Edwin Edwards that she went to with her sister Joyce where Edwin you know greeted them in the receiving line and you know, they all went back to the hotel together and Becky waited for Edwin Edwards and she was very like first name basis with so many of his staff. So this was just a year after that. So Becky had been involved, like as we said, with the Shreveport police. They had their, you know, spotlight method of flashing their light at her at her house as a signal for her to come out um her sister joy said that they suspected that she'd even dabbled into the world of prostitution there during this time and to add on to all this raising a child at any age raising a kid is really rough and really hard but raising a child when you're in your late teens early 20s is just a whole challenge in itself so, according to Joyce, she and her family helped Becky out as much as possible to ensure that they were both happy and healthy. Um, that was definitely their goal was they're just a normal family. Like, you have to 
you have to help it takes a village yes i didn't want to be cliche and say it but it does yeah it takes a village like you know how hard it is to raise a kid by yourself like it's nearly impossible you have to have help um but in her early 20s becky moved around quite a bit with jamie they would move from baton rouge to shreveport to baton rouge again they moved over to the west coast back to baton rouge becky definitely did not mind traveling and i mean seemed to enjoy it i mean if you're gonna move that much you kind of have to enjoy it a little bit um after several years though of kind of moving jamie around the country joy suggested that perhaps jamie could stay with them for a little while and kind of just experience a normal um childhood while becky did her thing and i say normal because no one really has a normal childhood (laughs) um but they just kind of wanted her to be at the same school for a while they wanted her to make like friends they wanted her to join groups and clubs and just you know have like some not i don't want to say normalcy but like a like a pattern a routine yeah routine almost joyce was even made her temporary guardian for this time so that she could you know make like medical decisions and enroll her in school and all that kind of stuff um and this lasted for a while um until becky decided that she um wanted to bring jamie with her when they moved to baton rouge and prior to her going missing they had actually moved back to baton rouge just like maybe less than a year before she went missing so she had been living in shreveport with her sister joyce and then moved back to baton rouge During her time in Baton Rouge, Becky was, you know, a little social butterfly. She was a part of a lot of different friend groups. She um, went to places on the regular and made friends there. She had plenty of friends. And Joyce even recalled making a trip to Baton Rouge where her sister um, was going into like really fancy dress stores and purchasing really expensive gowns and outfits but she wasn't quite sure where the money had came from and I feel like a lot of what we say sometimes can come off as us saying that we're calling her a bad mom or something but I please don't think that I'm doing that like raising kids takes a lot of people and it is totally not selfish of her to say hey Yes, my daughter does need some, you know, routine. She's going to stay with my sister for a while. That does not make her a bad person at all. That just makes her human. I feel human. like that is her acknowledging, mm-hmm. you know? Like, she's like, okay, maybe she does need to go stay there for a little bit. I don't think a bad mom would do that. No, not a at bad all. bad mom would be like, no, she's staying I with think me. She- I don't know her, but I feel like she would have been a pretty fantastic mom just for what's coming up. I just never put anybody else's shoes on my feet oh, no. because they're not going to fit me. That's that's a really great like analogy. Yeah, that's great. I like that. I'm going to use that from now on. <laughs> <laughs> um, But Becky had a lot of help raising Jamie, and I think that's a good thing. That's a fantastic thing because I know for myself I was raised a lot by my grandmother Mm -hmm. Bethany the same like it is what it is and it's great single moms and at the time Crystal's mom was single mom Mm -hmm. 
uh, they're working doubles and stuff, and, like, Crystal's mom worked a lot of nights. Mm-hmm. You gotta do what you gotta do, so, yeah, shout out to grandparents. Yep. And who, or whoever's Grandparents, aunt, uncles, neighbors, yeah. best friends, whoever it is. But in the months leading up to her disappearance, Becky started becoming more and more paranoid um, and really wouldn't confide in her family very much. Her change in behavior, though, was really obvious, and especially to her family because they know her the best. But when they asked what was going on, she just wouldn't give them an answer. But Joyce recalled that Becky would look out of the window constantly. She would, like, open the curtains, peek her head out, see if anyone was sitting outside. She was constantly aware of where she was, who was around her, always looking around, just, you know, just very paranoid behavior. And it wasn't long after this when she started carrying around that manila envelope that I spoke about last episode. According to her family, she took it everywhere, you guys, everywhere she went. And shortly before she went missing, she brought it with her to Joyce's house, but never let it out of her sight. Joyce even recalls Becky sleeping with it under her bed. Like, if that thing wasn't in her hand, it was somewhere that if you tried to get it, she would wake up. Now, what was in this envelope, we'll probably never know. And Joyce even admits that she regrets not pushing Becky for an answer about what was in this envelope or, you know, why she was so paranoid. All she ever told Joyce was that if anything was to ever happen to her, that it was all in that envelope. I'm sneaky. I would have waited for her to take a shower. Oh, I would have too. Jump. I have no trust for anybody. I would have totally looked. I would have snooped. Just because, like, Joyce knew, like, that behavior was not normal for her. And she mm-hmm. knew that she was terrified. So I've been like, all right, as soon as she jumps in that shower, that bathtub, or I'm, I'm snooping. jumping on that thing. But, I mean, we can't fault Joyce. Like, no. So for much. For giving yeah. her sister space and yeah. trust. I'm just saying, I'm a very snoopy person, so I would have snooped. What's in the envelope? Oh, it's in the envelope. <laughs> That's like the new question. Like, what instead of what's in the box? What's in the envelope? This is literally the first thing Crystal told me about this case. She was like, I have an idea for an episode. And we had literally just gotten done recording that night. And she was like, what do you think about it? And she was like, I have a friend. Her aunt went missing. And she carried an envelope around with her aunt anywhere. And she said if anything happened to her... The proof was in the envelope. And I was like, what? It's like a movie. I was like, that's a movie. That's like, that's a Lifetime movie. <laughs> and then here we are. Maybe one day when this case gets solved, because I have faith that it will, it'll be hopefully lifetime. not a, I don't know if a Lifetime does a crime movie very well. Do they do true, they do true crime reenactment I feel movies, like some of the ones they do are based off of, like actual stories but i don't know what other channel i don't know either i don't watch a lot of cable that's just the first thing that came to mind yeah i don't know either anyway um so let's set the scene a little bit um it's december 1988 and jamie and becky are living in baton rouge they are all settled in and the plan was that they were going to be spending the holidays there in baton rouge in their apartment and in early December, Becky called her mom to tell her that she was going to be 
sending Jamie up to Shreveport on a bus to spend Christmas there with the whole family. And according to an interview that Jamie actually gave to NBC, she said that her going back to Shreveport was very spur of the moment. Like, they were making Christmas plans one day, and then the next, her mom's telling her that she's going back to Shreveport. Jamie goes on to tell the reporter that she was begging her mom to come with her. Like, she didn't want to go by herself, and she was telling her, please come with me. Why are you making me go by myself? I don't want to go. But that Becky just refused to go with her. She said that Jamie was going, and that was that. At 12 years old, leaving your mom, like, two weeks before Christmas has to suck. Just plain and simple. And Jamie was not happy about leaving, and she was sure to tell her mom how she felt. Like, she was very vocal about it. The last words she ever spoke to her mom were out of anger, as she did not want to leave, and she was being forced to. Jamie boarded the bus with her one-way ticket and never saw her mom again. Never even spoke to her mom again, as far as we know. As an adult, Jamie felt like her mom knew something was going on and wanted to get her out of the area as fast as she can. And considering that she would end up going missing later that month, one has to wonder if that's, you know, actually what happened. Like, she wanted to get her out of, you know, baton rouge because she knew that something bad was happening or that someone bad was threatening her or just something bad was happening in general and wanted to get her out that's a good mom so again all the signs point to her being a fantastic mother because i mean i think anyone would do that they would get their kids out as soon as possible now christmas came and went and no one in the family heard from becky On December 27th, Joyce got a call from Becky, and Becky told her that instead of sending Jamie back down to Baton Rouge, she wanted her to stay there for a while. She told Joyce that it wasn't really working out the way that she had planned in Baton Rouge, and that she wanted to come back home and move back home to Shreveport. She asked Joyce to contact a friend of hers named BJ to come pick her up. Now, we didn't get a full name for BJ, so we're just going to keep calling him that in this episode. So when Joyce asked her how she was going to get a hold of her um, because Becky didn't have a house phone, Becky told her to call her boss um, and that her old boss and that he would just relay the message to her. So, Joyce called BJ right away, and he made plans to pick her up in a few days. He was just going to take his truck down and load her stuff up and drive her back. But on Wednesday, Joyce called Becky's ex-boss, Bob, to kind of relay that message so that she could get ready. Uh, When Joyce and Becky's boss started talking, though, that's when they realized, they both realized that something was wrong. Her boss, Bob, had not seen Becky since Christmas Eve and was really worried about her because her, like, going just MIA was not normal at all. He told Joyce that he went by a local restaurant that Becky ate at and drank coffee at 
several times a week. Joyce told us when we sat down with her to just imagine like a little cafe with a bar where people just drink coffee for hours and hours and hours on end. She said that was Becky. <laughs> I think she said that she wasn't very much of a cooker either. Yeah. She went to a lot of diners and stuff mm-hmm. in the area. I think she just liked being out and around yeah. people. And so I do know that at this particular place, she had met a lot of people and made friends with the wait staff and made friends with like a lot of the other regulars. So her being there was kind of weird. And he, Bob, when he went to the restaurant, said that nobody there had seen her in the past couple of days. And they were kind of worried too. He even went by her apartment and knocked on the door several times, but she never came to the door and he never got an answer from her. In fact, he told Joyce that she still had a paycheck that she had not picked up. And for Joyce, this information kind of secured and was the first moment that she really believed that something was wrong with her sister and that she went missing. By December 30th, Joyce called the Baton Rouge police and wanted to report her sister missing. So at this point, the last time that she's talking, she's talked to her sister is the 27th. And y'all are about to be real mad. (laughs) So on the 30th, when she calls the police to report her sister missing, she told them that Becky's ex-boss hadn't seen her, that he went to the apartments and she's not answered the door. He he she told them about how he went to the diner and no one at the diner has seen her and they've been worried about her and do you guess what the police do what they always do (laughs) they told her that she was most likely out partying and that she would turn up soon now like every other concerned family member ever (laughs) Joyce really hoped and thought that the police would just kind of like snap into action and people would start helping her find Becky. But unfortunately, that was not the response she got. And I mean, obviously, that's heartbreaking. Because imagine someone telling you, oh, your sister, she'll just turn up. Don't worry about it. Imagine somebody not doing their job that they get paid money I think for. it's been three days since you've spoken to her and they're saying oh she'll turn up she has a she has a 12 year old daughter it's, waiting for her it's like they knew her and they already had this picture in their mind of her and we're like eh mm, whatever frustrated joy's called them back every single day asking why they were not finding her why they were not helping find her And Joyce even said that as the days went on, she knows that her voice got angrier and angrier. And as the days went by, she said more and more choice words directed at these people because they weren't helping her find her sister. But I mean, from the way Joyce was describing it to us, she like genuinely felt like every time she called, like even the first few days... It was like they were annoyed with her at call, like even mm-hmm. calling. Like how, how, like how dare you have the audacity to call this line and report your sister missing? Like what? Yeah, and that that's unnecessary and just disgusting, to be honest. On January third, though, the apartment manager for Becky's apartment called 
um, Joyce and Becky's brother to let him know that her rent was due because he was listed as like one of the emergency contacts on the lease. He was. And Joyce called the apartment manager back and asked if she could just go into the apartment for her um, and let her know what she saw. So the manager reported that she, when she walked in, she could immediately see that Joel, that not Joyce, I'm sorry, that Becky had packed up a lot of things. Like she was moving, like she was like filling a suitcase, filling some boxes, and it looked like she was getting ready to leave. Um, which we knew. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, which we knew because BJ, she asked BJ to come um, and yeah. get her. On the counter was her purse, her wallet with her ID. Her keys, her cigarettes, her lighter. There was a coffee pot that was still on with the burnt coffee yeah. at the bottom yeah. of the pot. And two coffee mugs sitting on the counter. And then in the bedroom, there was a picture of Edwin Edwards um, torn up on the bed. So... I'm leaving that one there for now. I'm not touching it. We're going to touch it in the third episode. I feel like... But just hold on to that information. Okay, so when we were sitting... when We we were at a coffee shop when we were talking to Joyce. um, Here in town, Rhino Coffee. Shout out to them if y'all hear this. Um, I felt like a detective because Joyce was like... She could be a storyteller, honestly. She was setting the scene. Like I felt like me and Crystal were inside the apartment. But, I mean, when you talk about this every day for 33 years, you get all the details right. And when she said that, I was like, two coffee cups? But like, ding, ding, ding. Why did the police not think that was weird? Because Becky was home by herself. She had already sent Jamie back to Shreveport. And, you know, the boss and nobody else had mm-hmm. said they were over at her house. That's not suspicious? Okay. Now, I didn't ever ask... Um, Joyce, if this was true, but I did see somewhere in a news article that in the bathroom there was actually a bath drawn in the bathtub. Um, I don't remember if Joyce said anything. I don't. About I I've re- listened to our um, recording with her more times than I can count. Or like three hour long. <laughs> yes, like three hour long one. Uh, I've listened to it a lot at work. Like it's just like background noise. It's like a little audiobook. I can quote it at this point. But she's never said anything about it. But um I did wonder um after I saw that written in an article if that was true. So it is something I do want to um look up a little bit more because that does make me question a little bit more if there was a bath drawn did she was she drawing a bath because she had everything packed and she was getting ready to take you know one more bath in the apartment and then someone knocked on the door and came in and she set out a you know they had a quick cup of coffee and then something went wrong i'm very morbid that's not where my head went We'll save it for the next episode. Next episode, we're doing theories. We'll save it. (laughs) Just like I said, you have to save the fact that the picture of Edwin Edwards was torn up on the bed. Yeah. Next episode will be good. Next episode is going to be good. I gave Joyce some theories that she hasn't even thought of. So, it's going to be good. Um, So, 
yes, we are hearing about Edwin Edwards again. Just hold on to that and just hate him. I promise you, next episode, you're going to hate him even more than you already hate him if you know who he is or if you listened to the previous episode, you'll know. Now, Joyce asked the apartment manager to file, call the police and report her and report her missing. And the files that Joyce gave us really start there. Now, they don't mention anything about the previous calls that Joyce made um, at all. <laughs> like, basically, it assumes that the very first time the police have ever heard about her even going missing was when the apartment manager called. Which because. is not the truth because that was, you know, like the sixth by then. And the last time that, the first time that Joyce called the police to report her missing was December 30th. Joyce told us she thinks that first officer she called that first day never actually wrote anything down. Mm -hmm. And so when we were talking to Joyce, she did mention, and as I've looked through them as well, it is very obvious that some of the case files that we were given were um, rushed. Yes, one rushed. Doesn't doesn't even look like they tried to like it looks like longhand anything. It they looks just kind of like just, just scribbled. Yeah, yeah, they just scribbled. And then it also obviously what we got is just pieces of the whole thing. Like we weren't able to get every piece of material, so it's very choppy. Um, from it's what I've redacted. read so far, there's yes, there's a lot redacted. There's some places where it'll start and then there's no place where that statement finishes so you can tell that we've just got like pieces of the whole i'm very very interested in getting the whole thing i would love to get the whole thing so if anyone has to hook up in baton yeah, rouge police vague. department very, please very vague and there was some stuff that like joyce didn't even know and mm -hmm. like, there's some stuff that like when they got it she read over and she was like, they never even told me. And that's, that, that's so messed up. Like, this is her family. Why would you not tell every detail? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't understand. Um, a couple of weeks after they, like, they sent the apartment manager into the apartment, um, that manager called them back and said, hey, I've really got to rent this apartment. And that Joyce would need to come get Becky's stuff or they were going to have to put it by the road. Now, Joyce and Becky's brother that was in the Air Force in Biloxi ended up driving over and picking up Becky's things and then driving all of that stuff back to Joyce's house. And that's where they stayed until Valentine's Day when detectives, homicide detectives, mind you, from the Baton Rouge Police Department came up to look through her things and ask Jamie some questions. Valentine's Day. She went missing in December, y'all. It took two months. Mm-hmm. I have so much I could say. So many bad words that I would say. Two whole months. Two whole months. Now... Joyce was rightly angry at this time, in my opinion. Her apartment, Becky's apartment, had been a crime scene. And no one had even taken a look inside for fingerprints, any type of evidence. I mean, hello, there were two, two freaking coffee, coffee cups. cups. She didn't drink out of two cups. Like, I mean, I would hope not. I mean, I would, I would really hope that she, like, 
wouldn't be the type to drink out of one cup and then get another. At this point, a small child could walk into the Baton Rouge Police Department and get a badge. (laughs) It's, It's like... I mean, when Joyce was telling it, like, me and Crystal were pissed. Oh, yes. 100%. Like, we have 100. somebody sitting in front of us pouring their heart out to us that her sister's been missing for 33 years. And these people are like, we don't care. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't really matter to Figure them, Figure it apparently. out yourself. Yeah. So, she was very angry because, officially, Becky would not be reported missing, like, officially missing, until January 20th of... 1989 so that is almost a full month month from the last time anyone spoke to her now from the case notes that joyce gave us it does seem that the police you know not only just didn't make a report about becky calling or joyce calling that they didn't even like acknowledged that in some of their reports like it wasn't even acknowledged that her family was looking for her the ones that me and crystal read that we were given they didn't even start till the they dated them and the first one is didn't start till april yeah so from december to april they just weren't taking any type of report or Or that we have gotten after yeah that that we haven't had access to yeah so, that's, again, that's what I'm saying. If you have access to these and you're willing to help someone get access to these, please reach out and we will connect you with the family so that they can get access to these. Because Be- it does cost money. Mm-hmm. Like, somebody had to pay money to get Joyce and her family these due to the Freedom Act. So, so yeah. If, I mean, if we need to start a fundraiser, by all means... If someone knows how we can get the exact copies of what we do need and not just duplicates of what we already have, we're willing to help. Now, we do know that the big question that kind of comes from everything that we've that I've already talked about, like the big question that comes to mind for most people is why? Why was none of this written down? Why is why was it a month before she was officially declared missing? Why did the police investigate it the way they did? Why did they why was there a lack of investigation the way it was? And we can spend all day asking why. Um and who knows if there's some sort of conspiracy behind the whole thing. Maybe there is. Maybe it's something, you know, government conspiracy from Edwin Edwards. This is why Crystal is doing this series. <laughs> and I told her specifically to do this series because it would just be three hours of me cussing out the Baton Rouge Police <laughs> Department. <clears throat> Carry on. But it could honestly be something as simple as just complete ignorance, ignorance yeah. on the part of a police department who had no business no business investigating this crime um because they didn't know what to do which is stupid they're the freaking state capital of a state they their police department should know what they're doing um now the important part here is that Becky's family was asking for help and the police 
were just stating that she was going to turn up. They weren't trying to help. They were just saying she's turning up and her family was saying, help. I mean, something's wrong. And when you don't listen to the family when they're screaming at you that something's wrong, to me, that's when you know you have a breakdown and something wrong in your system. Now, who knows what would have been found if the police would have sent someone to her apartment after Joyce first called? Fingerprint the kitchen. Fingerprint the coffee cup. The counter. There's so much. The cup could have had a fingerprint of a visitor. The bathroom, where the bath was drawn. If it was drawn, we don't know yet, but... So many questions. Was this person responsible for this? Was this just a random person that she happened to have dinner with or a cup of coffee with? Who was this person? Why was the picture torn up? Was there something around the picture that someone, you know, didn't, someone didn't see? I mean, this lady who is an apartment manager isn't really going to be the most credible eyewitness for pointing out evidence. And she really honestly just did not, like the way Joyce was talking about her, this lady just did not care. She was like, get your sister's stuff out of this place. I need to rent it out. And she was like, man. And I mean, yes. I mean. I get it. I get it too. Like. But, like a little compassion. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but also, she probably wasn't a true crime aficionado because I feel like most people today, if we stumbled into that. I'd be like, no, we need to call the I'd have been like, we need to call the police. I'm we need to let them come we in We need to like block this off. No yeah. one's allowed to come in. But I mean, I get it. She was kind of horrible but move another person into an apartment where somebody just went missing that sounds so safe sounds so great so safe so great now was this mystery person that she shared a coffee with responsible um i don't know we are going to go over all of um the next I guess theories, questions, the way the investigation kind of fizzled out, um, and some of the leads that they've encountered in their next episode. Um, I'm also going to talk about some of the dead ends that they have encountered. I'm going to really dive into this whole Edwin Edwards yuck. Yeah, yuck is a great word. Yuck. Um, But we're going to save that all for the next episode. And the reason being is because I really wanted to set these three episodes apart. That way, it almost kind of had a beginning, a middle, and not necessarily an ending, but a... Because it won't ever end. It's not going to end. It won't end until Joyce and her family have answers. Yeah. But, but I really wanted it to have like a... Sections. Yeah, I want to have sections. But I wanted this third part to be a really deep dive into the different types of theories. And not I don't even really want to call them theories because that just feels weird. I really just want to call them... I can't think of a better word situations that made scenarios there There we we go go. we had to work through that scenarios that could have happened and evidence for each scenario Mm -hmm. and evidence against each scenario not so that we can make our own determination about what happened but 
who knows? Maybe us talking about one of these scenarios, somebody remembers something that they forgot about, or or sharing her picture. We do have it, yeah. have them posted on our socials, and actually, it's gotten a lot of shares. So thank you guys so mm-hmm. much for that. That's also a really good way to get it out. Yes. So in the meantime, um, the week after this episode, I would really challenge you to share a picture of Becky. If you knew her, share something about her. Share something. Share a positive memory about her. Um, if you knew her, tell somebody about her this week. Mm-hmm. Keep her name active and on the forefront of your brain. If you know someone who knew someone who knew her, say, "Hey, do you remember when she went missing? Do you like? Do you know anything about that? Like, what did you hear?" And that's exactly how we heard about it. I mean, Crystal's friend was posting about it on social media. You know, I, my aunt's been missing. Here's a picture of her. This is what happened. And that's how, you know, we reached out to her. So so those little things matter. And who knows? Maybe that conversation you have with someone will lead to a new piece of evidence or just something that can help the family. So exactly. keep talking. Keep being vocal. Um, and just keep, keep looking. Don't, let's not give up. Not even just on Becky. If you know anyone that has, that is missing or that has a family member that's missing, don't give up hope. Yeah, because there's a lot of Beckys out there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them. That are, their families are struggling and some people are just not willing to help them. So, that is all we have for our episode today. I know it's a little bit different because you didn't really have a beginning. You didn't really have an ending to this one. I just kind of gave you the chunk of um, some of the little bit beginning of what happened right before she disappeared, her disappearance, and then what they found after she disappeared. But next month's episode, we are going to dive a lot deeper into a lot of the theories. That way... um, There's some crazy ones. Yeah. I just wanted to give that its whole episode, not go too crazy in just one. But that's all we got for now. And I hope you guys have a blessed week. I hope you guys are ready for Christmas. And remember to do something kind and nice for someone this week. Yes. That is all. I hope y'all have a good one. Bye. Bye.